You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. In today's podcast, we will be talking about part two of Psalms 23. Psalms 23 is a very important passage of scripture for this year. For more information about our ministry, go to revivaltalk.org. Psalms 23, you ready for the word? Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm is a very important passage of Scripture this year. I believe we must commit this Psalm to our memory. We need to memorize it. But we need to commit it to memory. And we need to use it during times of prayer. I found myself sometimes during my prayer time just quoting that Psalm back to the Lord. You can do that. One source I read said that Psalms 23 is the most well-known, popular, and beloved of all the Psalms. King David, who wrote it, sings of God's protection, guidance, refreshment, abundant blessing, and promise of eternal life to those who love him. Pastor Robert Morris writes, he said, Psalms 23 is one of the most famous and quoted psalms in the Bible. It's also one of the most widely memorized and beloved passages of Scripture. It's been quoted by multitudes. It's been leaned upon, looked upon, prayed quoted and used during times of bereavement, sadness, sorrow, and difficulty. It is a powerful verse of Scripture. C.F. Spurgeon says that it's the pearl of all the Psalms. 2023, I've talked about this, but let me just review it for a moment. This will be a very stormy year. It's already shaping up to be this way. There'll be storms in the government, storms in the environment. I don't know if you've followed the storms in California and how people are trapped because of a blizzard. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God we don't have snow today. But in the south, it don't snow white snow. It snows yellow snow. This morning when I went out, there was, everything was yellow. It's that wonderful pollen, and I believe it's come early this year. But there'll be finance in the financial markets. This will be a very stormy season this year. This will be a year of intense warfare, both spiritual and natural. Yet during economic upheaval, governmental chaos, and wars and rumors of wars, we're going to experience true revival. In my study of the number 23, I learned that that number in the negative means death. But in the positive, it represents the presence of God. Psalms 23 verse 4 addresses both of these issues. Listen to what it says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's death. 23 represents death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There's the promise of God's presence. There is the presence of God in 2023. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's review and look back. So, Psalms 22, 23, and 24 go together. They form what we call a trilogy. Psalms 22 records the very words of Jesus when he hang on the cross. 
It shows Jesus as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Psalms 23 reveals him as the great shepherd. The very first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd. It says that he's the great shepherd and he's an ever-present help in the time of need. Psalms 24 speaks of the great shepherd and the coming king of glory. There is a promise of his death. There is a promise of his abiding presence. And there's a promise of his soon return. Jesus is coming back. I wish somebody would say amen. Very first words in this verse. Listen to what it says in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I want you to note that that's personal. When we read and pray the words of this beautiful psalm, it becomes very personal. He's not David's shepherd. He's not Elijah's shepherd. He's not John or, or, or Zebedee or, or Thaddeus or, or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. He's not the Apostle Paul. But when I read that, I don't read that as impersonal. I read it as very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. It becomes very personal and it notes that there is an opportunity for you and I to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to die for humanity's sins. He came to restore the broken relationship between God and man. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, here's what it says. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. But notice the second verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's resources. How many of you know God has every resource that we need to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish? I like the way the New Living Translation reads. It says, I have all that I need. What a promise in times of economic upheaval and uncertainty. I have all I need. Look at Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We must pray, we must ask God to unlock our provision and establish new lines of supply. This year on the Hebrew calendar is the year pay. Everybody say pay. But it's the year, and the letter pay, it represents the decade we're in. That's the mouth, that's your breath. Why do you think COVID came and we cover up our mouths with a mask and it takes our breath away? It's an attack. Now, we're in year three of this decade, so we're in pay gimel. Gimel is a picture of a camel. And in this year, we could say the camels are coming. Now, what does that mean? That means provision. That means supply. What are we having trouble with? We're having trouble with our supply lines. Things that you used to could get right away, now you have to wait a certain amount of time. If you're going to put a certain part in your air conditioner, it might be weeks and weeks and weeks before you can get it because of the supply line issues. What is under attack? Our supply. So what do we do? We have to pray and declare that God has new lines of supply and he has going to unlock our provision in this season. So what do I do? I pray these words. I shall not want. I have all I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. How many of you could use some rest? I know all of you will go on a vacation this year. You'll go out of town. You'll say, I'm going to get away to rest. But the truth is, you're not going to rest. You're going to do things. I'm preaching good and can't get no help. You don't go to the beach and lay in the bed. 
You go to the beach. You go out to eat. You do things. You need rest when you get home. We're invited to lie down in green pastures. That's the rest of faith. Hebrews 4, 9, and 10, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from him. In Exodus 33, 14, we find rest in the presence of God. I like what Dallas Willard writes. He said, what kind of sheep lies down in green pastures? A sheep that has eaten its fill. If a sheep is in a green pasture and she's not full, she'll be eating, not lying down. He leads me beside the still waters. That's refreshing. The contemporary English version says this. He leads me to calm waters. Another translation says, he leads me beside quiet waters. The shepherd leads the sheep to still waters because if the sheep gets into a creek or into, into something that's flowing, it will cause them their coat to get heavy, and it can cause them to drown. He brings them to the place of still waters. Because if sheep get thirsty, they'll go and drink anything. And according to Philip Keller, here's what he writes. When sheep are thirsty, they become restless. They set out and search for water. And if not led to good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up such internal parasites and other dangerous germs. Jesus said, I give you living water. Drink of this water and you'll never thirst again. He restores my soul. That's restoration. I love the words, again, of the New Living Translation. He renews my strength. Isaiah 40, 31, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The pulpit commentary says, He restores my soul. He revives it. He reinvigorates it when it's exhausted and weary. I like what Barnes notes of the Bible says, he causes my life to return. Now I'm going through these quickly because I want to get to the last part and we've already touched on these in, in, in past messages. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's right direction. I'm going to give you a formula for success. He leads, I follow, we arrive. He leads, I follow, he arrives. Had a family member to call me this week to get some directions. They were in a little place, and they, they didn't know quite which way to go. And I said, aren't, aren't you using your maps? They said, oh, said something's wrong with Google Maps. Well, I don't think anything was wrong with Google Maps. I just think they just didn't know quite how to put the information into Google Maps so that it would work the right way. None of you have ever been lost. Now, I'm of the male persuasion. I know that according to Facebook, there's 32 or 33 different genders, and According to whoever you talk to, they're different juniors. But according to the Word of God, there's male and female. And I'm of the male persuasion. I'm not confused about it. I, I understand. I know who I am. And as part of the male species, it is my duty to control the remote control in the house with the TV. Number one. Number two, do not ask for directions. Figure it out. You'll be two hours and 35 minutes late, but you, we're too stubborn to ask for directions. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to tell you that the steps of a good man or woman are ordered of the Lord. And he wants to lead you in a right direction. Francis Dixon says, sheep are foolish. They wander away. They fall into a dish here or get caught in a thicket there. Then what? The shepherd goes out and restores the sheep. He leads me in paths of righteousness. That's right direction for his name's sake. That's resolve. 
Listen to verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us on a path of righteousness so we can discover our purpose. In this season, we must allow the Holy Spirit to define our true purpose. So what does that mean for his name's sake? Well, Rick Etzel writes, he says, We exist as God's people, alive and thriving in God's kingdom to embody his name. When God acts for his name's sake, he's acting in accordance with his revealed character to uphold the honor of his revelation, which has been staked upon his people. But then notice what it says in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's reward. And this is where we are this year. The beginning of this year, the Lord said, study the number 23. In all the years of ministry, I've never studied the number 23. Now, I've studied numbers and looked at numbers and tried to understand what numbers mean in Scripture, but never the number 23. And as I began to look at this, it got very interesting because this number has both a negative and a positive meaning. In the negative, it means death. In the positive, it means the presence of God. And verse 4 says this, I will fear no evil. I don't have to be afraid in this season where death is being highlighted in the very number of the year. Why? Because you are with me. That's the presence of God. So in a year of retribution, removal, and shaking, we have the assurance and the promise of his presence. That brings us to the next part. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's reward. I will fear no evil. See, we don't have to be afraid today. We do not have to be afraid. And all that I went through medically with COVID, never one time did I have fear. Not once did I have fear. I had the peace of God. And God came to me in that time and he assured me that he would take care of me. I want to tell you, no matter what comes your way this year, no matter what happens to you in this season that we're in, no matter what the enemy tries to bring against you, we can say this, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I love the words of Psalm 56, 3. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Then notice the next verse. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the rod of God's power. I put up a picture there. In the Middle East, the shepherd would carry both a rod and a staff. Tony Cook says the rod was a formidable club the shepherd used to kill predators. Matter of fact, at a young age, he would go out... He would cut down a sapling, and they would shape that club, and he would practice holding that rod in his hand, and it became an extension of his right hand. He knew how to throw it. He knew how to use it. When, when a bear or a lion or some predator would come against the sheep that he was taking care of, he would take and use that rod to drive off the enemy. Well, anytime you see the rod in the Old Testament, it represents power. What would God tell Moses to do? Stretch out your rod. He stretched out his rod over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted and the children of Israel went across on dry ground. 
You see, the rod represents God's power. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's saying in the midst of a season of death, in a time of shaking, in a time of perilous times, in a time of danger, in a time of war, no matter what happens or what comes your way, I'm going to release my power on your behalf and you do not have to be afraid and you can be assured that I have promised that I will not leave you nor forsake you but I will go with you even to the end of the age then look at the staff these are all sermons in and of themselves the staff is your register of history why is that tradition tells us this they would take that staff and they would put markings in it child born we mark it we use remember anybody remember the family bibles Used to, we could, we'd write all that down in the family Bible. Births, deaths, marriages. And it became a record for the family so that we could trace back our genealogy. Well, in this case, they would put some kind of marking on there. God work a miracle. God do something. They'd put it on that staff. Now, I want you to notice that that staff, it, it, it's kind of got a circular top on it. It's got a crook in it. What did they use that for? They would reach down into the places where they couldn't get the sheep, where the sheep had fallen, and they would pull that back. Now, remember the first verse? The Lord is my shepherd. What happens? He's got a staff. Come on, somebody. And he'll come and find us in the most difficult places and take that staff and rescue us and pull us out. Now, what was important? That staff became the history of that family. Beth used to sing a song years ago, he'll do it again. I want to tell you, he'll do it again and again and again and again and again. And you can take your history, you can look back. Remember how God brought us out. You remember how God healed our bodies. You remember when they gave us a diagnosis at the doctor and the doctor gave us the fact of the matter, but we went to the word and we found the truth of the matter and the diagnosis didn't prove out to be true because the truth overcame that which was coming against us and now we are the healed of the Lord. You remember when God healed you? Do you remember when God provided for you? Do you remember when God blessed you? How many of you can remember the good things that that God did in your life. You got to go back and rehearse those promises sometimes. You encourage yourself in the Lord. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's retribution. That's the word of the Lord over this year, retribution. Now, it's hard to put that on the website. People come on the website and say, what in the world? 2023, a year of death. <laughs> That's going to win friends and influence people. That'll get you a lot of Facebook likes. Well, we could say it this way, 2023, a year of his presence. Retribution. Retribution is simply this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You see, there's some that planned our demise. They rejoiced when it looked like it was over for us. But God has the last word. The enemy might have written your obituary, but God said, I'll have the final say. What looked like a death was turned into a resurrection, retribution. I saw a headline this morning that came across my phone. It said, and, and what caught my eyes was the word retribution. 
And here's what it said. Donald Trump said, I am your retribution in 2024. It caught my eyes. I'm not prophesying about Donald Trump this morning, so you can all relax. I'm just telling you what he said. Watch that word, and you'll see it over and over and over again this year. You anoint my head with oil. That's reverence. What happens when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? We learn about the power of the comforter, the precious Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. We learn about the rod and the staff and how God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But then notice what he says in verse 5. You anoint my head with oil. We need a fresh anointing today. We need a fresh anointing for new challenges. The word anointing means to rub or to pour oil upon. The word anointing means to smear oil upon. The Old Testament type of symbol of the anointing was seen in the act of pouring oil over the head of the individual whom God had chosen for a specific office. The act of anointing with oil was to set apart and consecrate these individuals for the work and the offices God had called them to do and to fill. They would bring the priest, they would bring the king, they would bring them and they would take a horn that was filled with oil and they would pour that oil oil over their heads. It run down their heads, onto their garment and down on their feet. God wants to saturate us with his presence today. That's what's been happening in Asbury. That's what's been happening on university campuses around this country. That's what's been happening is people are tired of status quo. They're tired of dead, dried up religion. They're tired of no power. They want something real. They want something that will satisfy and enter their hunger. They've cried out to God and God has started pouring out the oil. Hallelujah. May he pour out the oil this morning. May it come across us, come and run down over us, get on us, get under our feet, so that everywhere we go, we'll leave a deposit, an oily footprint, a deposit of his anointing in the places we track. My cup runs over. That's riches. The anointing oil was poured over the head. Why? Because God's a God of abundance. What did Jesus say in John 10, 10? I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Note the words, more abundantly. God don't want us to just get by and get along. God wants to give us abundant life. We serve a God who's more than enough. Beth and Michaela, last night we were watching The Chosen, and it was where Jesus fed the 5,000. And I thought about how he took those just those little basket of of, of a couple of loaves and, and some fishes. And he fed the 5,000. And then it said there were 12 baskets of fragments that remained. We get caught up sometimes in the miracle of the 5,000. But listen, that little boy gave his two fish sandwiches that morning. But he left there with a month's worth of food. I've come by to tell you that God's not just the God of just enough. He's more than enough. Hallelujah. My cup runs over. And this last part of this verse is a picture of overflowing abundance. He wants to give us lavishly, and he wants to bless us extravagantly. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask of God who gives to all liberty and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I love this. My, one of my favorite verses, I quote it all the time, Ephesians 3.20. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. God is more than enough. Now, I found this quote, and I left it in here. Let me share it with you. Tony Cook writes, When a lost sheep is recovered, the shepherd does not stoically receive it back into the fold, but he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. When we understand God's nature and his immeasurable love toward us, it's not hard to believe that he would fill our cups to overflowing. We are recipients of the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Look at Ephesians 2, 7. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. You've heard no doubt the old comparison the pessimist says, my cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. And that's a pretty valid observation, but I like it even more that the believer can proclaim, my cup is running over. Why not make that declaration today? My cup is running over. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy. I always thought when I was a little boy that that was surely goodness and mercy. But it surely, surely is used to express that you are certain about something. Surely, that's an important word. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's recompense. Recompense is simply repayment with interest. We need to pray that. We need to declare that. Surely goodness and mercy is following me today. And then the promise says, it'll follow, promise me, he'll follow me all the days of my life. Isaiah 62, 11, out of the Amplified Version says, Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes in the person of the Lord. Behold, his reward is with him and his work and recompense before him. Recompense is repayment with indemnification. Some years ago, I was sitting at a, at, a, at a red light in Maryland, minding my own business, home, 10 minutes from home, and all of a sudden, a guy just come up and just slammed in the back of me. He jumped out of the car and ran up there. He said, man, I am so sorry. I just got my wife's car out of the shop, and the brakes failed. And he says, here's my insurance company. I'll do anything that I need to do. Well, the insurance company called me, and the first thing she asked me, she says, are you, Mr. Bailey, are you going to get a lawyer? I said, do I need to? <laughs> I said, I really don't want to. I said, if you'll be straight up with me, I, I think we can do okay. Well, I had to go and have x-rays and do some different things because of the wreck, and I had to go through some medical stuff, and they paid all of that and took care of that. And then she called me, and she said, Mr. Bailey, we want to pay you for pain and suffering. I said, I've had a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Just put a lot of zeros on that check. Hallelujah. That's what recompense is. <laughs> it's repayment. 
It's reward. Retribution is simply recompense in reverse. The world's going to get retribution, but we're going to get recompense. What's been stolen from you? What's the enemy taken from you? What do you want to get back? Start declaring, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm expecting repayment with interest. I don't want to just get my money back. I just don't want to just get something back. I, I want repayment plus interest. You ever notice if you're late paying the government, they charge you interest? But if they're late paying you, they just give you what they owe you back? Tony Cook writes, he said, It's noteworthy that David envisioned two specific attributes of the Lord following him all the days of his life. God's goodness and mercy. Some variation of the phrase, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, is found several times throughout the Old Testament and six times in various Psalms. He's trying to emphasize the goodness of God and the mercy of God. No matter where we've gone and what we've done and what we've strayed from and what we've gotten into, I'm going to tell you, some of us have been rascals and some of us have been rebellious and some of us have done things that we're ashamed of and we had to repent of. But I want to tell you, no, I couldn't run far enough to get away from his goodness and his mercy you can't outrun the love of God it was the love of God that found me in my backslidden state it was the love of God that found me in my sins and he picked me up he cleaned me up he put his love on the inside of me he put his spirit down inside of me he put his call on my life I don't stand up here this morning worthy of anything except that it's the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God that gives us the opportunity to live for him Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's a promise. And we need to make this our declaration. I challenge you this week to pray that. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Let me give you some scriptures. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense. 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one. the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Psalms eighteen twenty. the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Isaiah 35, verse 4, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear, behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. Then notice the last part of this psalm in verse 6. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's refuge. Refuge is defined as protection or shelter. As from danger or hardship. Place that is providing protection or shelter. Where do we go when the storm is raging against us? We go to the house of the Lord. Now in this reference, he's talking about the temple. We would know it as the church, but I want to bring it on down more personal. This is the house of the Lord. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And God dwells in your temple. Now when we come together, corporately, we become the temple of God. But let's look at it. Psalms 9-9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Psalms 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Where do I go when there's trouble? Where do I go when I'm facing things I don't know what to do? I run to his presence. 
I run to his throne. Dr. Kenneth Benson used to teach us when I was a student at Holmes College of the Bible many years ago. He used to teach us, he said, when we don't understand what's happening in our life, we don't understand why certain things have befallen us. We get at the foot of the cross and we worship. We get at the foot of the cross and we worship. But I will sing of your power. I will sing aloud of your mercy. In the morning for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. God is our refuge. An ever-present help in the time of need.